Father God, I just want to thank you so much, just, just for the opportunity that we have to come here this morning and worship you, God, and just sing your song and just join together with all of our friends and our church family. Lord God, I just thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would just let your spirit be with us for the remainder of the service, God, that you would just empty me completely out, God. Don't, don't let a single ounce of my flesh or an ounce of my thought or an ounce of, of human thinking get involved in this message, God. Just let it be strictly from you, Lord. Just let me be an empty vessel, God. I pray, Lord, that you'll take every word, God, every ounce of your scripture, every ounce of your message this morning, God, and just pierce the hearts and the minds of every person in this room, Lord God. Let us all leave here with nothing else knowing that we heard from you this morning, God. And I thank you, Father, for all you've done and all you'll do in your holy and your precious name. Amen. So this is the second message in our new series called Driven. And last week, um, we, we introduced this along with some of the project stuff. And here's, here's the deal. Steve Jobs, in my opinion, Apple is one of the greatest companies that has ever existed on the face of the earth. I'm an Apple freak. I'm addicted to Apple products. Even if I don't need them, I'll still buy them because they're that cool. So I love Apple. And I know there's a lot of PC guys in here and and the 90s called and want their technology back. So just understand I'm an Apple guy. And one of the things that I have studied is just the way that Apple did what they did. And one of the things that Steve Jobs lived by, he said two of the most important things for any growing organization, for anybody that wants to do anything of any significance in this world, whether it's a business or it's a nonprofit organization or it's a lemonade stand on the side of the road, he said there's two things everybody involved needs to know. He said they need to know the why why they do what they do, and the how, how it's going to get done. And he said that was two things very simple that he lived by. He made sure he inspired his people with the why. This is why we do what we do. This is why we get up in the morning. This is why we come to work. This is why we invent the things we invent. This is why we, we don't sleep and we work 24-7. He said this is, this is the why we do it. And, and, um, and he had his, and a lot of other great companies have theirs. And, and the thing is, is that Paul believed heavily in the why for the church. And it was something that he continually talked about. It was something that he continually introduced. And that's kind of the basis of this series is the why we do what we do. The why you get out of bed in the morning and come to church when you could be doing 10 other things. The, the why I get up and, and I come every day here and we study and we pray and we lead and we organize and we go. Why, why the volunteers come, why Paul did what he did, why Peter did what he did. And we came down to this right here. It's because they experienced something in their life with God that they had never experienced before. And when Paul had got to a certain point in his life where he had that moment with God where God just wrecked his world and God changed, he, he left that moment with God and he believed a different way and he thought a different way and he went after different things. And it said, basically, because I have found true life in Christ, because I've found God and I know that peace and I know that comfort and I know what it's like to follow Jesus Christ and, and what an amazing feeling it comes from to really find satisfaction, to really find that reason for living. He says, because I've found that, he goes, I'm just... I'm driven to see other people find that. In his exact words, he said, I'm compelled by the love of Christ. That's why I do what I do. It's why I travel the world and plant these churches. That's why I teach the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's eventually why he died for what he believed in, because he had something in his heart, something in his life. He had experienced true life in Christ, and he wanted everybody else to find that amazing feeling as well. And it's the same thing with us. That's why we do what we do. It's because we've had a moment or 
through time, we've gone to, to experience the life in Jesus Christ, and we remember what it used to be like without Christ. We remember what it used to be like when we didn't know God, and we know now that we want to do whatever it is that we can do, whatever it is that, that we can say, whatever it is that we can build, whatever we need to do, whatever God's called us to do, we want to do that because we want everybody to find life in Christ the same way that we have. And so that's a big portion of the why. And that's kind of like what we talked about last week. And, and this week, we're going to talk about the how. And, and Paul, Paul was amazing in how he articulated the how. And the how is so important because there's so much of the time that, that pastors and preachers and Christian leaders will get up and will maybe talk about the why or will maybe talk about what we want you to do. And, but we never explain the how. We never explain how God works. And Paul went over and over and over again. And there was almost no better way he put it than in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're not going to go through all of this, but he starts off with this right here. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And the reason he says this is because he's talking to the Corinthian church and he said, I want you to understand something. Christianity was kind of new at this point. Christianity wasn't something that had been around. There wasn't a lot of Bible colleges. There wasn't a lot of churches hanging around. It was, it was kind of new. And so there was a lot of people who believed in Jesus Christ and they followed Jesus Christ and they may not have had all their theology exactly right and they may have thought one thing was more important than the other and it, nothing's really changed that much. I mean, there's a lot of churches up and down this road. We're united by our core belief in Jesus Christ, but maybe we think some things are more important than maybe another ch church thinks is more important. And, and Paul's saying, listen, I want you to understand something. The core belief is in Jesus Christ. And right before this, he says, no man can say Jesus is accursed except those who are unbelievers. And no man can say Jesus is Lord except through the power of the Holy Spirit. And his point was, because I want you to know, this is what Paul's saying, I want you to know who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to the whole world. I'm not talking to everybody that, that that's lives in Corinth. I'm talking to the Corinthian church. Those of you, despite whether you're new believers or you're old believers, despite whether you were, in our words, despite whether you were Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian or, or Church of God or whatever it is, I want you to know that we are united in this belief. In this belief, the people that truly profess to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, I want you to know that the Spirit is at work in them and everything I'm about to say up to this point is for you guys. That's what he's saying. So this is a message to the church. And he follows that up with this right here. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now this is invaluable information. This is invaluable information because Paul says, I want you to understand something. I want you to get this, that if you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, that the Spirit of God is at work in you. And he says, and I want you to understand, in the whole, this entire conversation that Paul is coming from is because there was a whole group of people and they started putting labels on who was more important than the other person. And all the preachers were saying that they were most important and that they needed to be honored and that they were, that they were greater than, than everybody else. And then the prophets were saying, no, 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 it's not just the teachers. 
It's not the preachers, the prophets. They're the most, they're the most valued. They're higher up than everybody else. And then, and then the apostles, the ones that were going around and, and planting the churches, they were saying, no, the most important thing is those who go and plant churches because you can't, you can't even have a preacher or a teacher or a prophet if you don't go and plant churches. And so they were saying that. And then they were getting into the conversation about gifts, you know, no, the gift of knowledge or the gift of intellect and wisdom, no, the gift of this or the gift of that. And they started saying that these gifts are more important than the other ones. And, and so Paul's coming to the church and he's saying, guys, I want you to understand something. I want you to get this. All right, there's one Lord and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you profess him, then there's one spirit that's at work in your life. And then he goes in and he breaks these three things down. He says, there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of service, and there's a variety of activities but all of them come from the same spirit. All of them come from the same God. And so whether you have a gift or you don't have a gift or you're the preacher or you're the guy that cleans the toilets, he says, everything is from Jesus Christ. Everything is from the Lord. Everything is from the spirit. And there is no one that's greater than the other one. And he goes on to explain that in a few minutes and we'll get into that. But he breaks these three, these three things down, gifts, service, and activities. And it's incredibly important that you know and that you have an understanding in your heart about these three things. Because a lot of us, we get fixated on the gifts and we don't really talk about the service. Or we get fixated on the service and none of us really talk about the activities. And I, I, I felt like, I know I don't normally get into the Greek, I know I normally don't break things down, but I felt like it's very important that this morning we spend a few, morning, I mean, spend a few minutes understanding the point that Paul says, because when, when Paul says gifts here, and the Corinthians, when they heard him say gifts and they read him as he wrote gifts, they heard something very important. And when he said the word service, they heard something very important. And when they heard the word activities, they heard something very important. And it's something that you need to understand the difference between these three things because they are a major part of the how the church is effective and how the church was so effective in the beginning and maybe why it's not quite as effective today. So this was the first one. He says there's a variety of gifts. And this is basically mean, and I'm not going to go pronouncing all the Greek because I don't know what all the Greek means, okay? So just, just, it's up there. There it is. Gift, it literally means a grace gift, which empowers a believer to share God's work with others. So what he's saying, there's a variety of gifts that the Spirit can use in your life. And at the end of the day, whether it's one of the nine spiritual gifts that he talks about in the Bible, or it's, or it's just courage to give you the strength to share the gospel, he's saying this is a gift from grace that the Spirit gives a normal believer to be able to share the work of God that what's going on in their life. And, and to be able to give this, like if there's a very shy person, who was in the middle of a conversation with somebody and it turns to God and all of a sudden they're empowered to share their faith when normally they don't even talk to other humans, okay? You know those people. They sit around and there's the loud morons talking real loud at the dinner table and then there's that person that's sitting down there like this, eating their food, not talking. Wouldn't talk to the soul, but all of a sudden this person becomes over empowered with their faith in Jesus Christ and they share their word. That is, a, that is a gift of grace. That is a grace gift that the Spirit will empower this. And I heard a guy say this like this. He said, a grace gift, it can be defined in one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. It can be defined in some of the other things that we find in Scripture. He said, but at the end of the day, a grace gift, a, gri a gift of grace, this charisma, this gift from the Spirit, he said, it is anything you need to share the faith of Jesus Christ. Anything that you need 
to tell others what God is doing in your life, what others, uh, that others that God is doing in your church, what God has done for you and what God has done for them. Anything that you lack in this life, God, the Spirit will gift you in order to be able to spread that gospel. And what it is, the point is, is that there is no believer that is unequipped to share their faith, period. There's no excuse. There's no justification. Well, I'm just a really quiet person. Well, I'm just this, or I don't have enough knowledge, or I don't have enough intellect. I'm just not smart enough. I haven't been saved long enough. I haven't gone to church. I'm, I, I'm, I don't know the scriptures well enough. I don't, there's no, there, this is what a grace gift is. No matter what your weaknesses are, no matter what you're missing in your life, the Spirit of God will come in and empower you to share your faith in a way that you would never be able to naturally. And anything, anything that middle ground that becomes a the gift of the Spirit that allows you to propel forward the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is a gift of grace. All right? That is a gift of grace. Anything you need in your life in order to share your faith comes from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and can be counted under the gifts of the Spirit. Does that make sense? And so when I talk to people and they say, you know, why don't you share your faith? And man, we're so good at justifying why we don't share our faith. And I'm not going to get on to you guys about not sharing your faith. Jesus only died on the cross for you. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. I don't play guilt cards like that. I just don't do that. Jesus just died for your sins. No big deal. Not, don't even worry about it. You don't, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. But seriously, God says for us to share our faith. And when we think about our life, the percentage of people, this is a Barna statistic, the percentage of people that go through their entire life and never share their faith one single time with somebody outside of the church, 93% of people, 93% of the people in this room will go through their entire life and never share their faith in Jesus Christ a single time ever. It's kind of a scary thought, kind of a scary thought. And the gifts of the Spirit are there to pick up where you can't, to pick up your weaknesses, to become strong where you are weak, and to give you the ability to share your faith, to invite people to know Christ, to invite people to church, to have courage in that, and to have faith in that. That's what a gift of the Spirit is. And a lot of us, we understand gifts of the Spirit, because the church talks about the gifts of the Spirit all the time. We talk about the gifts, we talk about the teaching, we talk about different things all right, but not a lot of people really talk about this next one that he mentions. And he talks about the service. And it literally means ministry or active service, specifically referring to spirit-empowered service for the expansion of the gospel. All right, let me break this down for us. What we do here on Sunday mornings, this church is one big ministry that we, we build these walls I study and come up with messages and the, we read and dissect the scripture and teach from it. The band comes in practice. We, we pray about the songs, and we, we open up. We lead people in worship. And our entire, this ministry, everything that we do, we build these walls. We, we get the sound. Everything that we do, we do, we do as one ministry, as an active service to serve the people of this community so that they can come in here and that they can, they can get to know God and they can hear the teaching of the word and that they can find life in Christ. That's why we do what we do. This is one big ministry, and what we do is we create atmospheres where all people can find life in Christ. And then we have a children's ministry, and that children's ministry, it's, a, it's an active service that is there and exists to reach out to a specific group of children, all right, because we want to be able to expand the gospel in that age group. Same deal with the youth ministry. 
Uh, and then it has East Lincoln Christian Ministries down the road here. What do they do? They're an active service. They're a ministry that reaches out to the poor. If you need clothes, they'll clothe you. If you need food, they'll feed you. If you need help paying your bills, they'll help pay your bills. They're a Christian organization. They're a Christian ministry. They're an active service that's built to create, to serve, to actively serve a group of people in an effort to expand the gospel. Does that make sense? And then we got the pregnancy center right down the road. All right, and their entire, their entire reason is they've created an organization, they've created a ministry to actively serve young ladies who go through a hard time when most of the rest of the world turns their back on them. They want to take care of them. They want to make sure they have what they need. They want to make sure they can walk with them, that they're not alone as they go through this process. And they are an active ministry. They're an active service built to reach out to this specific group of people in order to expand the gospel. And there's ministries, there's active services all over the place. We have a welcome team here at this church. It's a ministry. It's an active service with people with great personalities and loving hearts. They show up early on Sunday mornings, and they stay here to shake your hands and to hug your neck and to welcome you into this church so that as soon as you walk in, the goal of this ministry is for you to feel the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. That is a ministry. It's an active service. And so Paul says, I want you to understand this. I want you to get, as he's starting to break things down and he's starting to get in, there's gifts of the Spirit, there's ministries, there's active service of the Spirit that's empowered by the Spirit, and all of it is for the expansion of the gospel. And he goes on later and he says, and listen, and whether you're on the welcome team, or you're standing up here teaching or preaching, or you're in the children's ministry, or you're an usher, or you volunteer at East Lincoln Christian Ministries, or you're involved in the pregnancy center, or, or in the child advocacy center, no matter what you do, that is an act of service from God. And it's there in order to expand the gospel and the lives of others so that they can find life in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of why we do what we do. And Paul says, so there's gifts that empower you to share your faith. He said, and then there's ministry and their active services like churches, like East Lincoln Christian Ministries, smaller version like our welcome team, like our kids' ministries. Now, that's, that's kind of simple. We get that, right? That's a good thing. They're glad they're in place. How many of you came to know Jesus Christ in some type of ministry or active service? Just raise your hand. If you, if you were involved in a church or you were involved in a... All right, listen, so nobody in this room is saved. That's the... Okay. I'm going to stop preaching. We're going to have evangelism sermon real fast. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. So how many people, you don't have to raise your hand, how many people were saved in a church or saved in a ministry or were affected by something like East Lincoln Christian Ministries or affected by something like the Pregnancy Center or you were in a coffee shop or you were riding down the road and you heard a radio song or that brought or you heard preaching from here or you, you were talking to somebody and they started to share their faith or they started to invite you to church. Listen, all of that. All of that, all of that scenario, whether you were in church or you were involved with this or you were talking to somebody, all of that is the Spirit of God at work in the lives of believers to expand the gospel in your life. Does that make sense? That's the how. That's how it works. And then there's a third one. And this is the one that I think gets so highly ignored. I very rarely heard it taught on. And here's why I think that, that it is, because it's very difficult to control. It's very hard. It empowers the people. It's very hard. And in my opinion, just my opinion, I think that the one we're about to talk about is one of the most powerful and effective ways that God moved in the church over the course of history and that it influences and that it empowers the ministries and the gifts. And this is, this is what it is. This is literally 
and what it means. Where it says activities, the original Greek word is energema. Okay? That's where we eventually get the word energy from. And it literally means energizings or operations, birth from the result of God's energy in people living in his faith. Now, I want to explain this to you. And if, if you're going to only have five minutes to listen to me, if you have ADD like me, and you get five good minutes before you just check out, right, I want you to listen to this, because this is what I think is so vitally important for you as a believer to understand and to believe. All right, this literally what Paul is saying, this word that he writes, and the way that he says it, what he's saying is, listen, there's the gifts of the Spirit, and then there's the ministry, there's the active service, there's the churches as a whole. Right, there's the Baptist church, the Methodist church, East Lincoln, the Pregnancy Center, Harvest Cove, there's the churches, the Big C Church and Little C Church, the active ministries. He said, and then there's these energizings, is what he calls them, these energizings. And he says, I want you to get this. He says, I want you to know that God will start to move in your heart, and he will start to move in your life. He will energize you to do something in order to expand the gospel. He says, so the closer you get to God, as you start to lay your life down to God, God will start to move in your heart, God will start to move in your life, and he will start to energize you to do something in the name of Jesus Christ, to do something for the expansion of the gospel. Sometimes what the church calls these things are burdens. All of a sudden, you get a burden on your heart. All of a sudden, you've, you've never thought about sex trafficking in your entire life, outside of watching Taken. You didn't even know it existed all right, before the movie came out. And taken two. It's pretty awesome. All right, you didn't even know what sex trafficking was. And all of a sudden, you're riding down the road and you hear something and you see something. All of a sudden, there's this thought in your heart. There's this thought in your mind about sex trafficking and, and what you could do. And, and, and that, that it's a thing. And you start Googling it. And you start finding out how, how dangerous it is and how widespread it is. And how it's not just in other countries. That it's very much alive in this country. And all of a sudden, you find yourself completely burdened down by the thought of sex trafficking. And you just want to get, you just want to do whatever you can do. You want to get involved in a ministry. Or you want to get involved in a, in a nonprofit organization. Or you just want to start giving money or you just want to start helping. You want to do something in order to help in some way because this sex trafficking, the idea of, of young kids or girls getting kidnapped and sold into sex trafficking and sex slavery is just, it's burning you down and you start praying about it and you start thinking about it and it becomes just a thing in your life. All right, that is God energizing you to do a thing in order to expand the gospel and the life of somebody else. Right, that's how it works. Have you, ever, have you ever just been sitting around and all of a sudden something comes in your heart about a homeless person or a certain person or a certain thing and, and all of a sudden you just can't stop thinking about that thing or you can't stop thinking about that person and you just think, I gotta take that person out to lunch or I gotta just send him or her a nice card. I've just gotta do something for them. I think maybe they could use some groceries or maybe they could use some gas or maybe this and you just think about this person. You don't really tell anybody but you go, you'll start praying for them or you'll start going after them. You'll take them out to lunch. You'll build a relationship with them. That is God energizing you to do something in the life of somebody else to expand the gospel. 
Uh, there was a woman I was talking to the other day, and she, she, was just, she was just all of a sudden out of nowhere. I never heard her talk about this before. She didn't go to this church. I've never heard her talk about this before. And all of a sudden, she was just, she said, we just, there's, just, there's young girls, man, and they, they're so lost. And they're so lost in high school. And, like, and all of these guys and all of these, they're just telling them, and they're going to give away so much in high school. And they're not, before they even have time to realize what they're doing, they're going to give away. And you could just see the brokenness on her, and you could just see this burden in her life. And I was just like, where did this come from? And she said, I don't know. I just had this conversation with this girl, and I just saw what she was going through. And now, all of a sudden, it's all I can think about. I just, I want to be able to start something. I want to be able to do something. I want to be a part of something so that I can, I can pour myself into this young lady or pour myself into this organization in order to help these teenage girls. That right there is God working in the life of a believer. It's energizing something in their life for somebody. Last year, we had Ryan Smith and, and Chris Benner come up and say, listen, man, we were watching TV, and, and these tornadoes swooped through Oklahoma, and, and as I was watching that, I remember watching and talking to Chris Benner about it, and he was just broken, and he was crying, and he said, he said I just feel like I've got to do something, and I remember, I'll never forget it. He said the words, he goes, I've never thought this before, I've never acted like this before. He said, but I just know in my heart, as soon as I watched that commercial, something welled up inside of me, and I knew that I had to do something. I knew that I had to be a part of something. I knew and it wasn't just anywhere, it was Oklahoma. I had to go. And Ryan Smith did the same thing. And so Ryan Smith and Chris Benner put together this trip and we send 15 or 20 people out to Oklahoma and it just does great and amazing things and it affects what's going on out there and it changed the lives of the people that went and it was an amazing, powerful thing. And where did it start? In the brilliance of the pastor? I don't have any. I can promise you. Did it start in the leadership meeting where we sat around and said, strategically, fellas, what can we do this summer to really affect people? No, it started out of a burden of a man who had a thing in his heart. Out of nowhere, it came because God moved in his heart, God moved in his life, and he energized him to do something in the name of the gospel, and he did it. All right, that's what it is. All right, and I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, this is the reason, the lack of this is the reason why the American church is in the situation that it is today. Because somewhere along the line, some arrogant preacher, some arrogant church leader convinced a whole bunch of people that it was about him and that it was about what he said and it was about what he thought and it was about what was important to him. Let me tell you something. I've got my own thoughts. I've got my own things. There are things that are important to me, but that doesn't mean they're, that doesn't mean that they're the end-all, be-all. There's a whole lot of people that I don't pray for. There's a whole lot of people that I'll never affect. There's a whole lot of people in this world that will never know me, but they will know you, and you need to be paying attention because the Spirit of God is at work in your life, and it's going to energize you, and it's going to open you up so that you will actually do something in your life rather than just sit and listen to me scream at you every week. I'm telling you right now, this is why the church exploded. This is why the early church exploded in the name of Jesus Christ because they weren't all coming to Paul. Give us a program. They weren't all coming to Peter. Give us, let's do, let's do, let's make hand baskets. You know, they were walking down the road. God moved in their life and they went and they told somebody about Jesus Christ or they went and they sold their property. They got their money and they bought food for everybody. I mean, they did this over and over and over again and the preachers never begged them. The apostles never taught them to do it. They just did it. When God opened up things in their heart and opened up things in their mind, they just did it, and God moved through it. I remember when I was a kid, I'll never forget it because I lost my room at my dad's house. 
out of nowhere. I'm at college and, 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 and just this thing, and I'm not just staring at it because it's my dad's because I was there and I saw it. Out of nowhere, I've never heard my dad in his entire life or, or, or my family say, you know what, we just really want to reach out to some homeless people. I've never heard that. And out of nowhere, God places a burden in their heart for some homeless people that was behind the Bojangles near where they worked. And so they just decided one day they weren't going to really tell a whole lot of people. They were just going to go out there and start building a relationship with this homeless people in this woods that lived out here. And, and they went for Thanksgiving and they started to build a relationship. And then over the course of two years, they built so many relationships, I mean, such strong relationships with these three homeless individuals, all of them gave their heart to the Lord. One of them moved into my bedroom and I was away and I never got it back. I'm okay with it. That's fine. It's good. Couch is comfortable. Not. Anyway, so he moves in. He gets to experience what it is to be in a house, to be with a family. I mean, God, it was just an amazing thing to see how God worked in these, the lives of these three men. And within two years, this isn't a bad thing. In two years, they all died. And all of them had given their heart to Christ. They had seen the love of God. And one of them got to live with a Christian family and see that. And you'll never see that in the news. You'll never see that in the newspaper. They'd never tell you they did it. Right, but there's stuff like that when God places a burden in your life. And here's the difference. I, God doesn't not move in your life. And that's, that's my point. And that was Paul's. God doesn't not energize you to do something. It's whether or not you get off your butt and you do it. You have to come to a place in your life where you are ready and willing. When God moves in your heart and God pricks your heart, and God burns you that you don't run from it, that you don't disobey it. Because I promise you, you will never find more satisfaction in this life. No drug, no drink, no amount of girls, no amount of guys, no, no, I mean, there is nothing in this life that will satisfy you like you finding your purpose in Jesus Christ and you experiencing that moment where God puts something in your heart and you obey it and you do it and God comes through and amazing things happen. If you do it just one time, you'll do it over and over and over and over again because there's nothing like hearing from God, moving in that direction, being energized by the Spirit of God, doing it and seeing God do his thing. It'll change your life. You'll never be the same. I promise you, you will never be the same. So it's important that you understand the gifts, and it's important that you understand the big ministries, the serve, the active services and the opportunities, because we need you. All right? But more importantly than all of that, God wants to move in your life and the most important ways, the most powerful ways that he will move in your life will not come through the voice of some preacher, not come through the voice. It'll come through the voice of the Spirit of God in the depth of your heart. And when you move in that and you live in obedience of that, God will change your life. Man, I wish he just would have ended right there and we'd have been good to go. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All right, and then he goes on for about 30 verses, and we're not going to read it all, but I'm just going to tell you what he says. He starts to make an analogy of the body of Christ, and he says, I want you to understand as a church, you're just like a body. Right, there's many members in it, but you're just one big body. 
And he starts talking about the hands and the feet. And he says, now, if, if everybody was a hand, you couldn't walk anywhere. And if everybody was a feet, you could never pick anything up. And he said, if everything was eyes, you couldn't hear. And if everything was ears, then you couldn't see. And he says, how could the foot say to the hand, I don't want you here. I don't want you a part of the body. Or I'm not you, so I'm not. A... How could that happen? He gets into this whole thing. He comes down to this, and he says, listen, I want you to understand. He says, the parts that you think are so important, yeah, they're important. But it's the parts that you don't think about that he uses the word indispensable. All right, let me put it in today's context. So like what I do up here on Sunday morning, what I'm doing right now, yeah, it's important. Yes, it's a great thing for the church. Yes, it edifies the body. Yes, there is a place for the preachers. All right, but if they weren't back there running the media, you couldn't hear me. If Cammie and Rita weren't out there preparing the coffee and the, and the food, you wouldn't have anything to, to snack on when you get here. If the welcome team wasn't here to love you when you got here, Right, if we didn't have the youth pastor and his team to pour into our kids, if, if we didn't have the children and the children's team pour into our, our, our little kids, if we didn't have these things, if we didn't have the East Lincoln Christian ministry devoting their hearts and their souls and their lives to the, the taking up of, of the poor and the people that are in need, if we didn't have the pregnancy center, if we, didn't, if we didn't have all of these parts of the body, if we didn't have them, we would be lame. We would, be, we would be lame. We wouldn't be able to make it. We wouldn't be able to go. If all we had was me, I promise you, we'd be in trouble. All right? I have one or two strengths in my life and a whole bunch of weaknesses. All right? A whole bunch. Everybody's not, you know how you laugh at something that's not true and you don't laugh when it is true? That's why nobody just laughed. Because <laughs> everybody was like, he's right. He has, so, he has a lot of weaknesses. Pretty apparent. Right? Right? It's true, though. If we didn't have people, if, if, if I was the one organizing the budget and the finances, we wouldn't have any money. All right? You don't even know the guy who does that. Some of you do, but most of you don't. Incredibly indispensable, invaluable person in the organization of this church. And he is just as valuable. The guy who cleans the toilets, just as valuable. The people in the ushers, just as valuable. Just as valuable, just as need. I do a thing called working out. I know it's stupid, but there is a particular exercise that we do. We're doing in, in CrossFit the other day, and it's basically just called a deadlift. You just, you go down. It's very difficult. You just go down, you grab a bar, and you pick it up. That's one, all right? And you set it down, you pick it up, and that's two. The reason deadlifts are so important is because it utilizes every part of the body. I mean, every single part of the body. If you were to go down and you were to pick it up and there was one part of your body not working, you wouldn't be able to pick it up. You wouldn't be able to lift the weight that you could lift. Whatever weight that I could lift, if I picked that up, if I were to just do it with one hand, do you think I could pick it up? If I were to do it with just one foot, do you think I could pick it up? I could maybe manage it. I would wobble. I would shake. But I could never pick up the fullness of what I could pick up with two hands strong with my back, if you take away one toe, you take away one foot, you take away one arm, you take away my eyes, you take away any part of my body, and I would never be able to lift what I could lift if I'm doing it in unity with the rest of my body. Now, here's my point to that. I am just as strong as I am when I do it with two hands as I am with one hand. I have the exact same potential. My back's just as strong. My legs are just as strong. My arm is just as strong. Everything's just as strong right now. But if I disengage one arm, I appear to be what? A whole lot weaker. It's the same thing in the church. We are just as strong right now with everybody in this room 
as we would be if nobody got involved. If you all came to this church and you sat on these pews and you didn't volunteer and you didn't give of your time and you didn't give of your effort and you didn't give of your resources, we would technically be just as strong with you sitting in this room. But because you don't engage and because you don't serve and because you don't do that, we appear to be weak and ineffective. That was Paul's message. That was Paul's point. He said, I want you to understand every part of the body moves. And here's his, the moment that everybody gets involved. The moment that everybody starts using their gifts for the expansion of the church, the moment that everybody starts getting involved in the ministries and the active service, the moment that everybody starts giving in and obeying those energizings, those operations, those things, the moment that that starts happening, you see your true strength. You see how effective you could be. You see how much you could do for the gospel. All right, but it doesn't matter if we have the best leaders. It doesn't matter if we have the greatest organization. It doesn't matter if we have wealthy people. It doesn't matter if we have people with intellect. It doesn't matter if we have the wisest people. It doesn't matter if we have the best speakers. It doesn't matter if you fire me and hire Billy Graham. It doesn't matter. It does not matter who you have. If you're the greatest speaker in the world and you never open your mouth, what does it matter? If you have the financial capability to change the world and you never spend a dime, what does it matter? If you have such a heart and such a passion and such a talent and ability to pour into kids and you never volunteer, what does it matter? That's what Paul's point is. He said, you have everything you need. God has supplied everything you need through the people that are around you at this very moment. You're as strong as you'll ever need to be. But if people don't get engaged and people don't get involved, then they appear to be weak. And this is his overall point. He says, actively united, we are strong, but passively separated, we are weak. Here's something just to put in perspective. I don't talk about money all the time. I don't talk about it right now. You get over it. All right? Here's a fact. If the Ameri- there's enough money sitting inside the American church to end world hunger forever. Forever. There's enough money in the American church to end world hunger forever. If people gave faithfully, and not just in this church, I'm talking about in the church, faithfully to the church, there would never be a financial need in any church anywhere ever. Everything we ever need is sitting in this room at this very moment. But if you don't give, it's worthless. That's the truth. Same thing with your talents. Same things with your abilities. Same thing with your effort. You have everything you need everything you need. If you have the greatest voice in the world, to be able to shout voice of praise to God and to lead worship in a way, and you never open up your mouth and sing, what's the point? When we are actively engaged in what God is doing in our life, using our time, using our effort, using our resources, united behind the vision of Jesus Christ, moving forward, we are powerful and strong and unstoppable. But God's answered every prayer we will ever have within the group of people he's given us. God never sends us to do a thing without providing everything we need along the way. This is how God, this is the how. This is how it works. God has gifted you. God has called you. God has chosen you to do things in your life for the name of Jesus Christ. And the longer that you sit back and you don't, the more you miss out on some of the greatest adventures you'll ever have in this life. And he goes on to say this. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And there's a part of me 
and that wishes he just would have stopped right there. Because he reiterates everything. I want you to know you are the body of Christ, each individual. You are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. We are the, we are the extension of the Lord God Almighty. We are filled with the power of God in order to see his mission accomplished on this earth, in order to see all people find life in Jesus Christ. And then he says this, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The next chapter, see what he just did, he just gave us, does anybody watch NASCAR? Me neither. I, I think it's the most boring thing on planet Earth. I just, I'm not built to love it. I'm sure you do, and that's great. But I just, once you see him go around once, like, that's it, right? They just drive round and round and round and round and round and round and round. I just really watching the ESPN and see who wins. The other day I was watching ESPN, and NASCAR fans, you'll, you might remember this. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. led the race the other week at a place doing a thing, right? He's running the whole thing. Super fan, right? He's winning the whole thing the whole time. He comes down to the end, and they said the whole time, they said he had the fastest car of the day. He, he registered faster than anybody else during the time things that they do. They said he had the best car, he had the best engine, he had the best this, and he was the best driver that day, and he was winning. He, he, he beat him in the, in the prequels, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> no idea. Point is, he had the fastest car, and that day he was the best driver, and he was winning the race all the way up until the very last lap, and something ridiculous happened to him. He ran out of gas. It's like the one thing you don't need to do. Like, I feel like somebody ought to got fired that day. I'm just like, it's the one thing you need, right? And the one thing you need in order to get the car going. And they realized how important that was because he was the best driver of the day, but he didn't win. And he had the fastest car of the day. But he didn't win. He had the best engine, but he didn't win because he didn't have the fuel. Right? And it's funny. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. There's, I don't know. That's just, I feel like you should have that covered somewhere along the line. And so you have this moment where he's got everything he needs. It's the best of the best, and he still loses because he didn't have any fuel. This is what Paul just did. Paul just gave us the how to have the best car. He just gave us the how to have the best engine. He just gave us the how to have the fastest car, the best driver. He just gave us the how. And, and that's what I believe with all my heart. I believe that's what the church is. I believe that God has equipped us to be the best of the best. I believe that he's given us the most talented, the most creative, the, most, the greatest people in the world, I think, exist inside of the church in order to expand. We got everything you need. And that was the how. Chapter 12 is the how. I mean, that's the, that's the car. It's the race car. Chapter 13 is the fuel. And this is Paul's point when he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. He says, it doesn't matter if you have the fastest car. It doesn't matter if you have If you don't have what's coming next, you don't have anything. And he goes on. You'll recognize this, but you won't know what's connected. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Taylor, you can go ahead and come up, bud. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He says, I want you to get something. This is Paul. He goes through this whole thing. He talks about the gifts and the service and the ministry, and he says, you know, I, I want you to understand this. You can have the greatest speaker in the world, I could literally be the great, your, your Harvest Cove could have the greatest speaker in the world, elegance. I mean, just, just, just 
amazing. Just have the ability to silhouette words together and just sing to you and just, I'm not going to sing to you, and just, just be just perfect in every way, shape, and form. But if I don't have love, if I don't have love inside of me, love for you, love for God, I might as well just be up here just clinging symbols together. He's saying it's pointless. It po- doesn't matter if you've got the greatest children's idea, greatest children's team, greatest, it doesn't matter. If you have the greatest youth pastor, it doesn't matter. If you have the greatest talent, the greatest bands, it doesn't matter. If you have the, the most smilingest welcome people, if you have the, the greatest food, the best coffee, if you have everything, if you have, if you have the ability to have prophetic powers to teach the deepest mysteries of this world, if you have the ability to read scripture and teach it in ways that, that no man has ever done before, if you have the ability to, it doesn't matter, he goes through, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you have all the intellect in the world. Doesn't matter if you have all the knowledge in the world. Doesn't matter if you have all the degrees in the world. Doesn't matter if you have all the wealth in the world. It does not matter what you possess. If you don't have genuine love, you have nothing. You have nothing. If you don't have love, it doesn't matter how strong or how fast that race car is. It's not going anywhere. I find it unique. That in the Old Testament, God said the greatest commandment is to love thy Lord, thy God, with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. Love the people. Love your neighbors like yourself. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love the neighbors, love the people like that you love God. And then when Jesus was leaving the earth and he's talking to his disciples, he says, I want to tell you how people will know that you really follow me. I want to tell you how you'll know that people, that you really are a follower of Jesus Christ. It'll be by your great power? No. It'll be by your mass amount of wealth? No. It'll be by your ability to teach and preach? No. It'll It'll be by the way that you love. Jesus said, it'll be by the way that you love. When people will look in and see your power, they won't be impressed. They'll look in and hear your elegant teaching, and they won't be impressed. They'll hear it, and they'll hear your music, and they won't be impressed. They won't want what you have. But when they see you love people in a way that nobody in the world can love a person, then they will be impressed. Then they will want what you have. And then Paul goes on to tell you a little bit about what love is. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And then he says this right here. I want you to, I've heard this my whole life. It was a long time before I realized that it was in Scripture. And then when I realized that it was in Scripture, it was a long time before I realized the context. I thought for years, when I was a child, I thought like a child. When I was a child, I reasoned like a child. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought that was something out of Proverbs. I thought it was something out of Ecclesiastes. I thought it had something to do with wisdom. I thought it had something to do with maturing and growing up. And I never knew that it was in the context of this. It was in the context of love. And Paul says these words. He says, when I was a child... I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You know when you're a kid, like what you value when you're a kid? You know what I valued when I was a kid? I valued army men. I thought army men were the greatest thing since sliced bread. Little green army men, I'd set them up, 
set some of them on fire, shoot fire, I mean, I'd tie firecrackers to their back, the enemies, and I'd blow them up, and in this thing, I value, I mean, I genuinely value, you mess with my army, man, like, you might as well be messing with my child, like, that's how, when you're a child, when you're a kid, you think like a kid, right? We all did. What did you guys play with when you were kids? Just think about what you, you value, like, recess, you value all the things that you, you thought like a child because you were a child. There's nothing wrong with thinking like a child when you're a child. And the things that you valued as a child, you valued as a child because you're a child. And Paul says, I want you to understand that when I was a child, I thought like a child. I valued things like a child. I reasoned like a child. I spoke like a child. I acted like a child. But when I grew up, when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. This happens to most of us. There are things that you valued as a kid that you quit valuing when you grew up. There are things that when you value, I mean, toys or ideas or things or certain, even certain friendships as a kid, you valued these things. And when you grew up, you quit valuing them because you grew up, because you became a man or you became a woman and you put those other things behind you. Now, here's the thing. In the context of this love, this is super powerful because Paul's saying, listen, I want you to understand something. As an unbeliever, there are things that you value. There, there's a way that you think. There's a way that, that you go after things. You, what you, you value success. You value money. You value fame. You value wealth. You value uh, business. You value being known. You value, there's lots of things that you value. And even as an infant in Christ, even as a newborn in Christ, even as a new Christian, there are certain things that you value. And it's okay because you're an unbeliever. It's okay because you're an infant in Christ. And he says, but as you grow up in Christ... What you value is supposed to change. And as you grow older in Christ and as you grow up in the Spirit and, and you get to a certain point, his point is the way that you know if you're growing up in Christ is how much of the love of Christ you have in your life and how much you value the things that Christ values. Instead of being impatient, you're patient. Instead of being rude, you're kind. Instead of being boastful and arrogant, you're humble. All the things that love are. He says, I want you to get this. As an unbeliever, as an infant in Christ, you valued certain things. You spoke certain ways. You acted certain ways. But now that you've grown up in Christ, now that you're a man, and now that you're a woman in Christ, I want you to understand that the greatest thing that you have in this life is love. And the more that you grow to know God, the more that you grow to know Christ, the closer that you get to him, this is how you need to evaluate your growth in Christ. This is how you need to evaluate your maturity in Christ, by the way that you love, by the way that you have mercy on, by the way that you forgive, by the way that you humble yourself, by the way that you love God, love Christ, and love the people around you. And he says, if you don't ever get to a place in your life where you are filled with the love of Christ and you are over, just your whole life is burdened for the heart of people out of your love for them, he says, you might as well just be a child. And he goes on to say this. He says, I want you to know there's three commodities, three eternal commodities. Faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. We got faith. We talk about faith all the time. Man, we talk about hope all the time. He says, but the greatest, the greatest eternal commodity that exists in the world is love. Love is why God created us. Love is why Christ saved us. Love is why we turn back to God. Love is why we're right with God. And love is supposed to be what drives the church to be the church. Because when you grow up in Christ, 
You start to value the life and the soul of a person more than you value your own success or your own money or your own property, your own. That was the whole point. That was what was happening in the early church. They got to a place and they said, I'm filled with love for these people and so I'll give up whatever I need to give up in order to see this thing done. That's why people that have the skills and the abilities to go out into the world and to companies and make hundreds of thousands of dollars devote their life to 20 grand a year to nonprofit organization because their love for that need or their love for that people or their love for the homeless or their love for women in trouble or their love for hurt, that's why they do what they do because they are overburdened and they are overpowered by the love of Jesus Christ and they're willing to go and do. That's why you would probably not give up your life for a lot of people. But if your child gets in danger, there's not much you wouldn't do to protect your child. Why? Because you are over, you're compelled by love to jump in front of a moving vehicle. You're compelled by love to risk your life to save your child because there's this overbearing love. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us because he was over with a love for you and a love for me. You may not even know his name. You may never serve him a day in your life. You may never turn from the world. You may never give your life to Christ. You may never go, but I want you to know this one thing. Christ loved you enough that he went through the punishment and the wrath of the cross because he loves you. God, you exist today because God created you out of his love for you long before you were even born. Your creator created the world because he loved you. He gave you everything that you see, everything that you are, everything that you know. You have it because God loves you. The only commodity that matters in this life is love and where you direct that love. And he says the greatest thing in existence out of all of the things that abide in the universe, the greatest thing is love. Because at the end of the day, man, your money will burn, your houses will fall, governments will crash. But you will always have love. Love for God and love for people. And that has to become a driving factor in your life because Christ has done so much for us out of love. We are compelled, like Paul said, we are compelled to love the world, to love the people, and to serve and carry this message forward because of all that Christ has done for us. So the why, why we experience true life in Christ and we want others to experience true life in Christ, because we love them because we want to see them flourish. We want to see them grow. We want to see them find life in Christ because we love them. So this morning as we end, I just want you to know one thing. The greatest thing in this world, the greatest thing in this world is love. And there's a whole lot of people and a whole lot of armies and a whole lot of nations and a whole lot of things going on right now that's built out of power and, and hate and, and a million other things. That's why we're this close to World War III right now. But Christ says in the midst of all of that chaos, in the midst of the world being the world, the greatest thing you possess in this life is your love for me and your love for people. And if you can get that right, everything else will fall in place. 
So I just want to encourage you this morning. Seek out who you love. Seek out. Evaluate your love for people. Evaluate your love for Christ. Evaluate where your love is going because it's going somewhere. Take it off the world and put it on the Christ. Take it off of money, put it on the people. Take it off of success and put it on to the hurting. Take it out and put it on the homeless. Take it out and put it on the poor. Because at the end of the day, the only thing we have left eternally is God and people. It's just a powerful thing. So I encourage you, don't spend your life pouring into business and pouring into wealth and gaining all the things that won't matter the moment that you're gone. Spend your life investing in a kingdom that never dies and invest in the souls of man because they will never perish, ever. You guys will stand with me. I pray, Lord, right now that you just let your spirit rest in this house this morning, God. I pray, Lord God, right now that you will move in the hearts and the minds of the people, God, that you will just allow us to just fill your spirit and fill your presence, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, right now, I believe with all my heart, God, that in this very room is everything we will ever need to do what you've called us to do. I believe that we have every volunteer we'll ever need, we'll have every dollar we'll ever need, we'll have every talent, every ability, every strength we'll ever need, God. We have everything we would ever need in this room right now, Father God. But I know for a fact, that without the love of God, without the love of Christ, without the love for people, Father, we will never do a thing of any countenance. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit open up our hearts and open up our minds this morning, God, and you will fill us with love that we have never experienced before, that you will fill us with your love, you will fill us with your spirit, God, you will, you will fill us just with compassion and mercy and forgiveness, God, that you will replace our impatience with patience and you will replace our rudeness with kindness and you will replace all of that hatred that we have in our hearts, all of that anger, Father God, for love and for peace. And I pray, Lord God, in a world of racism, in a world of division, God, in a world of war, Father, in a world of division in our government, in a world of just chaos, Lord God, let your people be filled with your love, God. Let that be the fuel that drives us wherever we need to go to accomplish whatever we need to do. I pray, Lord God, right now that you will move within our people, Lord, as we sing to you in a few minutes, Lord God, that you'll just be with us, God, that your spirit and your presence will be with us, that you will just move in our hearts and our lives in ways that we couldn't imagine. I pray, Lord God, if there's any marriages that need you right now, God, if there's any lost in this room, Father, that are feeling you and need you, God, I pray, Lord, that you just send them to the front, God, or, or just move in their hearts right there in their seats, Lord God, that you just continue to do all the things that you've been doing, Lord. I pray, Lord, than anything else, Lord, that you will fill this place with your love this morning and that you will let us leave here knowing that we are in the middle of one just giant hug from you, God. I pray, Lord, in your holy and your precious name, move in the hearts of the people this morning. Just worship.